0: grab your Bibles. We're back in Genesis. Now, the last time I taught through the book of Genesis, I had about 200 junior hires sitting in front of me every week, so it was always interesting. But have you ever read over certain scriptures where you're just kind of, you read it and you just move on, right? You just read it and you just okay, either you're like, okay, yeah, I, I sort of understand that, but maybe not really, or okay, I just don't understand it, I just keep reading, you know? Well, as a pastor, it's kind of hard for me to do that. I have to research things out. And the frustrating is sometimes the Lord doesn't tell us everything that we want to know. And we've seen that through the creation as we study the creation scriptures and so forth. And, and, you know, the first uh, couple of chapters in Genesis, it's frustrating. Well, this passage this morning is a very interesting passage. Uh, and, and really, it's more informational than applicational for today's uh, sermon so I apologize for that. I do have one practical application at the very end. So so just hang on as we go through this particular scripture and uh, and we will apply it at the end but but uh, it's one of the more controversial scriptures in in the Bible. So let's get right into it. Genesis 6 or uh, yeah, Genesis 6 uh, and I'm going to 1 through 12 is where we're going to be at this morning but says, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of, those, any of them they chose. Now, as we get into the chapter 6, this is the context of what happens at the end of this chapter, which is a wonderful children's story of God killing all the people on the earth, right? Noah's Ark. But uh, it's a more controversial portion because uh, it all revolves around who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men. And there's really two main views on this. And, and both the views come from good, godly, biblical people, very sound and respected teachers. Yet I agree with one and not the other. So let's go through both views. But the first view is the sons of God is a reference to the godly line of Seth. And we've been talking about Seth uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, how he was a very godly man, and so therefore it would mean Seth. In other words, believers. And the daughters of humans are the ungodly descendants of Cain. And we talked about how Cain, Cain went the, the wrong direction. Cain named his children, basically as, as thumbing you know, thumb his nose at God and all this kind of stuff, the way he named his children and so forth. So you have believers marrying unbelievers. And and that is kind of one view here. And the second view is that the sons of God is references to angels, and the daughters of men is reference to human women. So they say that fallen angels are cohabitating with earthly women. So the the first one, the descendants of Seth, Mary and Cain's uh, descendants, they hold to like Genesis 4, the descendants of Cain. You see the chapter of Genesis 4. And then Genesis 5 is the genealogy of Seth. And we talked about Seth. So that it would suffice to say, well, Genesis 6 is those two lines of, of, you know, of, of uh, genealogy of descendants marrying together. Believers marrying unbelievers. Which is prohibited, actually, in Deuteronomy 7 and in 2 Corinthians 6. Um, and, and we've kind of gone over this, where, where if you're a Christian, you're a solid Christian, you shouldn't be marrying an unbeliever, um, because there's issues that come from that. You know, when you have children, do you take your children to church or not? Do you, you know, all those things uh, crop up, and we've gone over some of that, so we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about that today. But, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 6 also talks about that, and they also point out that, you know, the New Testament, the phrase, sons of God, is used to describe believers. So they would use the Bible to understand that the Bible makes sense, and and that's a good way to interpret Scripture, right? You know, a lot of us like to interpret uh, Scripture on how we feel, and that's a very unbiblical stance. Well, I really feel that God would just love this, you know, and love these people, but Clearly, scripture says that's a sin. So, therefore, we can't use our feelings about God's love to interpret scripture. So, this would make sense. But there several problems with the view of it being the line of Cain and the I mean the line of Seth and the line of Cain marrying together. Why were there only sons of God and not daughters of God? See what I'm saying? If Seth was a godly line of people, there would be. Godly men wearing, uh, marrying godly, I mean, ungodly women, and there'd be ungodly, uh, godly women marrying ungodly men, right? But it doesn't say that in the scripture. So we kind of go, hmm. Um, secondly, why would a marriage between an unbeliever and a believer create unnatural children? If you go on and read the scriptures, in, in verse three it says, And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days are 120 years. The Nephilim, other words, giants, okay, that's a word for giants, were on the earth in those days, and afterward, when the sons of man went to the daughters of humans and had children with them, they were, they were heroes of old and men of renown. And if you go back and look at that in Hebrew when it says they had children with them, it's talking about unnatural children. It's not just saying, oh, they had children. No, no, you go back and really research what it says, they're talking about unnatural children. So then a third thought here is, is why would God wipe out the people of the earth if it was only unbelievers and believers marrying? Right? We have that today. But why would God, you know, God wouldn't go, wow, let's just clear them all out just because believers and unbelievers. So it kind of makes us go, well, wait a second. So then what is Genesis 6 all about? What is Noah's flood all about? There was a bigger purpose to the flood that we just kind of ignore. And, you know, who was, uh, who was really on this earth at this point? And you have fallen angels marrying and women and having kids there were, in a sense, much like gods. Little gods, okay, not big G God, but they had extra power somehow. They had extra things going on. And the fourth thing is the phrase sons of God is only used three other times in the Old Testament. It is used in the book of Job. Job 1, 6, and Job 2, 1, and then in 38, 7. And each of those passages is a clear reference to angels. So, so, much, uh, you know, so much so that the New Testament started using the word angels instead of the word sons of God. And in Job 1, 6, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth on it. Now, those that, that hold to the point of view that sons of God mean people instead of angels would point to Luke thirty-eight or three thirty-eight, where Adam call, Adam is called the son of God. But this verse actually proves the opposite, because Adam and the angels have something in common: they weren't born; they were created. Adam was created. Adam and Eve cohabitated together, had sex together, and it produced a child, and that was the son of man, okay? So Adam was created just as the angels were created, and Luke 3, sh- through, uh, Luke 3 shows the genealogy from Jesus to Adam, and in verse 37 it says, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, The son of Jared, the son of Mahiah, I can't even pronounce that one. The son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, and and the son of Adam, the son of God. So we see that Adam is called the son of God, not everyone else. So everyone in the genealogy was born normally, as in mother and father, until you get to Adam who was created. He is, in a sense, the son of God. Now, in the New Testament, we as Christians, men and women, are called sons of God. And the reason for this is we've gone through a new birth. We are direct descendants of God in God's sentence. God has adopted us into his family, into his family, because the Spirit of God actually lives within us. In John 3, it says that, that Jesus replied, Verily, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And the Greek for the word, born again, can also be translated from above. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. We are called the sons of God because we are a direct creation of God because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We were not born into the kingdom of God from a mom and father. We are born again or we are from above now. Through believing in christ that's why we're we're saying that the this home on earth is not really our home our kingdom is where in heaven this is not our kingdom this is not our home we are of another place now the second view is the one that i kind of hold to if you haven't been able to figure it out the sons of god in the old testament are angels and the daughters of earth are women just earthly women I hold to this view for several reasons. One, the sons of God in the Old Testament always refers to angels. And secondly, and this is what really drives this view for me, is the fact that it's mentioned in the New Testament not once, but three different times, referring back to Genesis 6 and what was going on. And this gives us the context of Genesis 6 and once by, by Jude and a couple times by Peter. And Jude, he's talking about what we're reading in Genesis 6, uh, and he says, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, other words, heavenly realm, positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, those he has kept in darkness bound with an everlasting chains for the judgment of of the, on the great day, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and per, perversion. They serve as an example to those who suffered the punishment of the eternal fire. So we see the 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 context here. We have people abandoning their proper authority, their proper place in the heavenly realms and coming down to earth. So the fallen angels left their place and came to earth and and pursued unnatural ways. Sexual immorality, perversion. um, uh, Perversion is also translated as as the word strange flesh. And strange flesh means unnatural ways. Angels and humans, that would be unnatural, wouldn't you say? Okay, okay um sodom and gomorrah homosexuality was the norm again that's unnatural i mean again we go back to feelings versus what the bible says i have friends that that are of that persuasion they're still friends they know where i stand on the word of god they know how i feel about it but i don't reject them outright because i want them to see god's love okay but it's not natural you can't have children that way right two men together no children two women together no children now, we can go the unnatural route of getting doctors involved and all that kind of stuff, right? And again, we can take something that's really good and use it for bad. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thankful we have doctors, aren't you? I'm thankful we can have surgeries the way we do, aren't you? I mean, my wife wouldn't be here today. My child probably wouldn't be here today if we didn't have that because of what happened. And, you know, she had fibroids, and Brandon couldn't get out, so they, you know, she bled and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was a difficult situation. If we hadn't had doctors... I'm thankful for doctors. But again, we can take good stuff and use it for negative stuff. Now, some people will say angels are spirit beings and don't have an assigned sex. Well, we know that angels can take human form. We see this throughout the scriptures. In Genesis 18, two angels come down with Jesus, and they showed up to Abraham's doorstep. And, and, uh, and Abraham tried to talk Jesus out of destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus basically says, oh, by the way, these two angels are, are going off to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham's uh, relative was there. It was Lot. And Abraham starts out going, uh, "You know, well, what if there's 40 godly people there? And God's kind of laughing, you know, Jesus is kind of laughing and, and, uh, and says, well, if there was 40, and then he goes, well, what about 30? And it, you know, gets all the way down and says, what about one? What about one? You know, so while Jesus was talking to him, the two angels went to Sodom. And the, and the opposite side of this is the men gathered in the house that these two men were in. In other words, they surrounded the house, and they wanted to have them send out these two angels so they could rape them. I mean, how sick is this, right? You would agree with me, right? Okay. So we, you know, we may think, well, this is Old Testament stuff. Well, let's look at what it's written in, um, there we go, in he- Hebrews 13. Do not, fo- do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In other words, we need to be nice to people. We need to be nice to strangers. Now, every homeless person asking you for money is not an angel, Okay. So don't go that route. I mean, if you feel the Holy Spirit uh, prompting you to help somebody that's down on their luck... Then do it. Follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean every homeless person you need to be out there giving money to. In fact, uh, money is not necessarily a good thing. To, you know, help them out with food, help them out with shelter, point them in the right directions. There's other ways to help than f- handing out money because sometimes you will also run across people who have thousands of dollars in the pocket because they spend you know all day out there begging. In fact, there was one last year that was caught in Hanford. So I mean, I'm not saying don't help people who need it. Please do so. We're called as Christians to help those who are down on their luck, okay? Just do it in the proper way that, that will help them in the end. Anyway, let me get off my high horse. So, uh, so, so, you, um, so we can see that angels can take human form, and they can fool us into thinking they're ordinary people. We see that when Abraham not even realizing that, that the angels, you know, the, the men that showed up at his doorstep were angels. Uh, So the angels and earthly women would produce children. Well, from the scriptures, the answer, if you look at that and you question that, the answer would have to be yes. That's exactly what Genesis 6 is talking about. The Nephilim, or the giants, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. Now, what's interesting is there are other books that are out there written that we don't consider biblical books, okay? Um, you have the Apocrypha, which is, I think, about 13 books that the, the Catholic Church includes in, in the Bible, but, it's, but the Christian Church has said, you know, these are extra-biblical writings that we can go to to understand culture, but we're not going to say those are God's Word. There's other books out there. One of them is the Book of Enoch, and it's attributed to Enoch from back in Genesis, Uh, And what's interesting, before we go, well, wait a second, because it's not a godly book, we can't even bring it up, we can't even talk about it. Because you would have people that, that, you know, when you have a large church, you have people coming at you from all sorts of different places, and you would have somebody go, wait a second, that's just not, that's not biblical. Well, wait a second. Jude, the book of Jude in the New Testament, actually quotes out of the book of Enoch. Interesting, huh? We can use it as context of what's going on, just not biblical writing. So, in the spirit of that let's read something out of the book of enoch it says it happened after the sons of men had multiplied in those days that daughters were born to them elegant and beautiful and when the angels the sons of heaven beheld them they became enamored of them saying to each other come let us select for ourselves wives from the progeny of men and let us beget children then it goes on, it says, they uh, Then they took wives, each choosing for himself, whom they began to approach, and with whom they cohabit, uh, cohabited, teaching them sorcery, incantations, and dividing uh, of roots and trees, and the women conceived, uh, uh, conceiving brought forth giants. So it goes on and talks about all the sorcery stuff that was uh, taught by them, and, and they were full of godlessness. And, you know, obviously the writer had, you know, would no doubt be picking up on stuff that was happening in Genesis 6. Now, again, this is not biblical scripture, so don't get upset with me. I'm trying to be honest, trying to be upfront on this. But uh, at the very least, the writers, Jewish, uh, believed what was taught in Genesis 6 was correct. Now, if someone doesn't believe in Genesis 6, they often point to Matthew twenty-two thirty, And it says, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage and they would be like angels in heaven. Therefore, it says they won't marry, and angels are sexless. That's what they would come up with. But what he's saying is faithful angels don't marry. We know that fallen angels do. Genesis 6 shows us that. Fallen angels have done a lot of different things. Another thing to point out in the Bible is angels in the Bible, are always in the masculine. You find no place where they're referred to as a female angel. So ladies, it's not my fault. I'm just saying the Hallmark Channel is wrong, you know, touched by an angel. I'm dating myself. So are all the people laughing. You know, it's not my fault but they're always men, they're always male, they're always the sons of God, never the daughters of God in that sense. So sometimes you just hit a passage where again, we're learning, you know, it's just kind of a learning time about God, about the Bible, about our history, uh, and there's not a lot of application from it, but you go, kind of go, wow, that's interesting, I've never heard that, or I've never gone that far. You know, this is one of those things where we just kind of read it, and we just Skip right over it, and we don't even really think about it. Oh, there was giants. Okay, you know, Nephilim, whatever that means, and, and we just keep going. Um, and it, this just happens to be one of those texts. So let's continue. When human, began, uh, human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them, of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. And I'm going to kind of skip over that because next week we're going to hit the 120 years and all oh, what that means. It's about the time that it took Noah to build the ark and it has some other connections. So it, it, verse 4 says, The Nephilim, or giants, were on the earth in those days and also afterward. After what? After the coming flood. There was giants before the flood and there was giants after the flood that's what it says when the sons of man, sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them they were hearers of old men of renown so Nephilim means giants so they're the children in a sense of angels and women and I believe there's kind of a half human half angel fallen angel half you know, you could use the word uh, evil, <laughs> de- devil, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, kind of a hybrid here. Heroes of old can be translated as mighty men. So these giants on earth were mighty men. Think of David and, the, uh, you know, David and Goliath. Goliath had what? Six fingers and six toes, and he was supposedly somewhere nine foot tall. And, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that in a second, but, well, I mean, we can talk about it now, I guess, but, you know, there's giants on the earth before the flood, and there's giants on the earth after the flood. Uh, you know, him and his brothers, these guys were like nine to ten feet tall. There is, sorry, turn off your phones, pastor. You, the funny thing is, you know who it is? It's all the pastors texting back and forth going, we're praying for you this morning. Well, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you. So it's all the pastors that are interrupting each other's service, if you can believe that. Man, I'm going to get on those guys. So you had big people. Now, there's one part of Scripture that talks about Israel. When they went into the, the promised land and conquered the kings and conquered the land, there was one bed that was found to be 18 feet long. Now I'm not saying there was an 18 foot guy, you know, tall guy, 16 foot tall guy, but we also know there was a, there was giants in the land before and after men of renown, mighty men, big people. And like I said Goliath and his brothers, you know, six toes and six fingers and all that, something was something strange was going on. This wasn't normal. Now the group would also include the what's called the Anakin and the Emen People who lived in the land of Canaan. And earlier I kind of mentioned about coming up to the promised land. In Deuteronomy 128, the children of Israel are arguing with Moses. We can't go in that land. We can't go in there and conquer it. I mean, the, you know, the report had come back. There's giants in the land. There's no way. We're not even trained. And it says here in Deuteronomy 128, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there and the race of giants in the land, okay? Deuteronomy 10, uh, 2.10 says, the Emites used to, to live there, people strong and numerous and as tall as the Anakites. Like the Anakites, they too were considered uh, Rephiphites or something like that, but the Moabites called them Emites. Now, I don't think that every child of an angel and a woman was a giant. I don't think that. Every half-demon, half-human, whatever you want to call it. But the term men of renown are mentioned. What what do you think of when you hear men of renown? I mean, you're thinking of you know, either mighty men, strong men, or, or people who've done great things. I mean, in our country, we, we think, you know, we just went July 4th. We would say men of renown, George Washington, those who accomplished great things and so forth. But here we're talking about more strength, more, more mighty men here. And, uh, and this is one of the reasons God told Joshua to wipe out the land of Canaan. Wipe out the people living in Canaan. They were evil in their ways. Many of them, I would say, I mean, the, the Anakites and Emites, they were descendants of giants. They were descendants of, of that corrupted bloodline between the angels and the humans. And some of you are thinking, man, he's gone off the deep end, okay? I'm just following what the scriptures say. So if you don't agree with me, I'm not going to fight with you about it. You know, if you go, man, on that one thing, he just kind of went off. I, I'm, I don't, that's fine. But if you've been around here long enough, you know I hold to the scriptures. You know I'm not like, always off the deep end, so so just hold on there, you know. But I mean, there was, I mean, think about a half demon, half human. So what else, I mean, what else were they doing? They were offering child sacrifices. I mean, who would offer up their child as a sacrifice? Who in the right mind would do that? And you had whole groups of people doing it, not just some crazy person. So something had to be messed up in that person for that to happen. I mean, I, I started thinking, I mean, you could go really off the deep end. You could come and say, okay, well, I mean, because do you think this stuff stopped completely? No. So you have God who took all the angels at that time that had done this and threw them into prison. Okay, threw him in a shill, is Hades, as we call it, and they're down there in darkness and shackles and chains, and they're waiting for the judgment time. We're going to talk about that here in a couple of minutes. But do you think that stopped any other angels from doing this? No. So you could even go to other evil men like, I mean, Hitler? I don't know what his ancestry was. Could this be something from that? I don't know. And I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying how could anybody in their right mind think that way? ted bundy you know i mean it's just it's just crazy but we have people in the land of canaan who are sacrificing babies and other things trying to please their god which was satan himself so this was what is going on in genesis 6 what better way for satan to become in charge of the earth what better way than to corrupt the human seed Corrupt the one thing that God loves, humans, and turn them to Himself. And that's what Satan was trying to do. He would also change the aspect of the, of the deliverer who was to come. There was a promised deliverer, you know, to Eve, the, you know, saying that the, He would come and, and, and He would be bruised. The hill would be bruised, but it would crush the serpent's head, right? And talking about Jesus and talking about Satan. Well, what better way to corrupt that and change that if you can get everybody corrupted by fallen angel seed on earth. And that's the context of why God destroyed the people on earth in Genesis 6. At least that's what I believe and many scholars believe. If you want to believe different, again, I'm not going to fight with you, okay? Uh, Genesis uh, 6, 6, it says the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe out or will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground and I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. So we see that Noah was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was one that was not corrupted. And why was he this way? Well, one, he had faith. He believed God. He lived a faithful life and followed what he believed at the time when anything and everything and everyone else around him had become corrupted. Verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart were only evil all the time. Satan affected the earth. He started with Eve. Okay, And when that didn't work the way he wanted it to, all his other buddies, the fallen angels, about a third of the angels in the kingdom of heaven, as the scriptures say, they, they came down. They were with him. And what better way to corrupt than this way? Demons, as we call them, fallen angels, affected the human race. It became the epitome of lawlessness. And the more that this went on, the more evil and corrupt the human race became. But verse 9 is very important pivotal. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Now, the word blameless in the Hebrew, don't think of uh, perfect or you know perfectly clean or never sinned or anything like that. Don't think of it that. It's more the, along the lines of uncontaminated. Noah and his family may have been, and again, I, I'm, I can't even say it. I can't even say it not even going to try it's in my brain it just won't come out my mouth but Noah and his family may have been the only family on earth that hadn't been uh, you know contaminated by demonic inbreeding which would explain the flood I'm not saying that that's 100% it but uncontaminated is the way you could take that some would say well that is just ridiculous that the Lord would flood the earth Just to get rid of, you know, uh, half-demonic half-breeds and all that. Well, is it? I mean, this is mentioned three different times in the New Testament. Jude wrote that the angels didn't stay in the proper domain, went after strange flesh, flesh, and God judged them for that. And they're held in some sort of jail we call Hades until the Day of Judgment. Peter in in 1 Peter uh, 3.18 and he's mentioning what went on in Genesis six again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring to God, to bring you to God. He was put to death in body, but made alive in spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. God waited 120 years after he told Noah to start building an ark before he destroyed the earth. He waited patiently there. 120 years, you know, people were probably, you know, wondering what was going on. People coming by, the you know, the tour camels just lined up, you know. Traffic jams and, you know, like tour buses. Okay, I know. At least I got a kind of a, you know, that the same look that I get from my 7-year-old I got from Joyce, just you know so you know they're all paying attention but in the end only eight believed and went in wow in it only a few people eight and all were saved through water so here jesus was preaching to the fallen angels and the word preaching is a, it's a i don't necessarily the word proclamation here really means going and saying i was right He was down in Hades going, I was right. You guys tried to kill me. You guys, no, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior. He was down there telling them that he had been, that he was not defeated. He was proclaiming to the fallen angels his victory because they tried to throw, you know, they tried to change the plan of God, keep Satan from being, you know, crushed, to stop the coming of of the Lord himself but they were stopped. They were chained up in in Hades. And when Jesus won the victory on the cross, he went to Hades and proclaimed his victory to them. And in Second Peter 2, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, or Hades, putting them in chains and darkness to be held uh, held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people. So again, it's important enough for Peter to mention again, and he connects the angels' actions with the flood. So you can see how it's like God didn't give us a full picture of what's going on here, and, and you have to kind of pull from from Jude and first and second and Peter and go, well, what was going on? What's the context here? And again, you know, that's where we're kind of going. Well, we think it was this, but we're not hundred percent sure this is why. God didn't give us a full picture here, but he connects the actions of the angels with the demon seed and God that destroyed all flesh on earth because of this, except for Noah and his family. So back in Genesis 6, 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And again, the word blameless, uncontaminated. In other words, God protected them. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt, in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. You know, it's interesting. From ancient times, we have all these myths, all these legends, all these stories of demigods, all, of, all over the earth, we've had stories of half man, half animals, you know, and all the, you know, you, you go to English class and you read the classics and, and all this kind of stuff. And you wonder, we, we look at it as all fiction, and sometimes fiction is rooted in truth. I don't know if it is or not, but it's interesting because I don't think it was just, I, I, I don't think it was just demons with, with earthly people. I, you know, it changed the animal world too, so I don't know. But the world changed enough that God had to destroy it. Slowly over time, when people turn away from God, they turn to other things. Don't they? You stop meeting together, what do you turn to? The world. That's what you turn to. And over time, that's what happens. And then, you know, and all of a sudden, Satan becomes the mainstream of things where Christians, you know, before, it used to be like, no, the, here's our God. You weren't silly. You weren't considered silly. And, but now it's so changed. It's so lopsided. We're considered silly for even believing in God because God's ways are now extreme. And we're seeing more and more evil and more and more violence in our culture. And this is, a re, you know, like a direct result of Satan infecting the nations. There are ancient writings about angels affecting the animals and mixing of animal species. And, and and you know a lot of scholars are talking about you know God said you know one kind after another In other words same species we got multiple dogs but they're all within the kind you know what I'm saying we don't mix dogs with cats <laughs> no never but we don't mix dogs with any other animals you don't produce a different type of, you all after the same kind so is this talking about Somehow back then, you know, because they're much more intelligent than we are, splicing of animals, putting different... I don't know all the ins and outs. We only get bits and pieces of this kind of stuff. But God brought judgment on them and the earth because of all of this. And again, this is the context of the flood. Now, we know that after the flood, there was giants also. So this continued, but not on the same scale. They know that they, uh, you know will be caught. you know. The example of you put enough people in jail, people stop doing the same thing. You know what I'm saying? In Fresno, when they were cracking down on on people stealing cars and putting guys in jail, I mean, people stopped stealing cars because they didn't want to be put in jail, right? When the jails finally said, well, forget it. We can't keep them. We let them all out. What happened? Started stealing cars, you know? So the same concept here. God took enough of the angels and put them in jail in a sense, down in Hades, waiting for the final judgment that... Some of the other angels said, well, I'm not going to get caught doing that because I don't want to be down there with them. So you kind of have that's going on. But the idea of, of a lot of things changing, I mean, think about splicing. Think about our DNA. I mean, it's catching on today. There's a word called transhumanism, and it's a movement of transforming human condition to enhance physical, psychological, intelligent capabilities. In other words, we like to genetically modify things. Did you know that you know in certain certain parts of the world if you want to have a baby boy you go over there and you give them all the stuff you know the the male sperm and the female eggs and they put them together and they can manipulate you want blue eyes we can manipulate that so your child has blue eyes you want a male or you want a female we can we can do that they're splicing genes enough to be able to do that it's it's pretty crazy what they're what they're doing you know what they're doing in 2003 in China they splice human cells with rabbit cells the embryos were allowed to live for a few days and destroyed after they got stem cells out of them they're studying it to help us you see what I'm saying something that can be used for good can eventually be used for bad in 2004 at Mayo Clinic they were able to produce a pig that could live with human blood flowing through its body <laughs> Talking about trying to play God. At Stanford University, they've made mice that have 100%, I mean, not 100%, 1% human brain cells in it. University of Nevada a professor has grown human livers in sheep under the guise of, man, we, if we can figure out how to grow extra livers, we can save a lot of people because right now we have to wait till somebody dies to give somebody else a liver, you know? So if we can just grow them in an animal, why not? All under the guise of helping human mankind. But we also know that, again, some things that, are, that we mean for good, others we use for evil. 2008, British scientists produced human animal hybrid embryos by splicing human DNA into a cow embryo. I don't know why they wanted to use a cow, but they did. But this embryo was 99% human and 1% cow. It grew for three days and divided, if you know about anything about biology and the way the cells divide, into 32 different cells before they were destroyed. Many are predicting that they'll soon produce a creature that is half human, half animal. We already have the genetic capability and manipulation to do this. You know, you want a red-headed baby, we can give you a red-headed baby. We can do all these sorts of things. But this has caused an ethical dilemma where many states have already rushed legislation prohibiting splicing a human DNA with animal DNA. And it's just a matter of time before the United States government actually passes a law in Congress if they can ever get anything done there. You know, but maybe they can come together on something like this. I don't know. But the idea behind this stuff... You know, you splice a human, uh, you know, DNA with, angel, uh, with an eagle DNA, and you produce great eyesight, or bear, or lion, and and you know, great strength. You know, how can we how can we make people you know stronger and live longer and all these things? And the idea is noble, yet not a good idea at all. The goal is you know ultimately is immorality, and we could go down that rabbit hole if we wanted to, and all the stuff the they're doing, you know, freezing your body so one day you can come back or, you know, I mean, they're trying to, I know several movies have portrayed this, but they're actually trying to do this, trying to get our consciousness to replicate into a computer so we can live forever and think and act and all those things through the computer forever. And we think this is wild stuff, yet this is actually out there and they're trying to do this stuff. Some believe that technology will get us to the point where we will be like God interesting just like back in early times this is exactly the problem this is exactly what satan wants us to do man has always wanted to become god so i told you this was going to be a weird sermon right you agree with me it was kind of a weird sermon don't just walk out of here and think i'm just a nut i'm just it's not a you know a lot of direct application but more knowledge but before you think I've gone off in the deep end, let's finish with Revelations. <laughs> Revelations 13, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. Do you think splicing DNA, gene manipulation? I don't know. It's exercised with all authority of the first beast, first beast on its behalf and made the earth and all its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. In other words, acting like God, you know, God did that way back when, okay? So there's going to be some weird stuff in the end. You know, is this genetically modified bees? I don't know. I'm not sure. But I know that the direction that we're heading is like in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, as Johnny Carson put it, some weird, wild stuff. But God ultimately will destroy him before it goes too far, just like he did in the days of Noah. Man tried to become God in Noah's day, and it didn't work out. Today, we're trying to become gods, and it's not going to work out again. God will not allow man to become God. Now, here's the application. (laughs) Out of all this weird junk, in a sense. Here's the one application I get out of this. And maybe you can come up with you more spiritual than I am and you can come up with some other stuff or you didn't go down the rabbit hole like I did. But here's the one application. Don't willingly give yourself over to evil. It may look good, but it could be evil in disguise. Could be evil in disguise. And that's what the angels did. They disguised themselves, they looked good, but it turned out evil and it ultimately destroyed the earth back in Genesis 6. So. so why don't we stand up and pray, and Joshua, you can lead us out in a more biblical way than I have, I guess. I don't know. Well, let's pray. Lord, this just was an odd thing to begin with, this particular scripture. We don't exactly know the exact context of genesis 6 but we do know that satan tried to corrupt the earth to the point where you could not save it and you prevented that from happening we thank you for that we thank you for sending your son we know that you don't always help us understand everything that's in scripture and and sometimes it's probably a good thing because it would blow us away but sometimes we clamor for it. We, we pray that you give us clear eyes, a clear heart, a clear understanding of who you are, that you're ultimately in control, that no matter what Satan tries, that if we don't give ourselves over to evil, we don't give ourselves over to things that may look good, that we stay on the foundation of who you are, that that will be the best route for us, the best path, and that you bless us for that. Mm-hmm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.